Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, I'm excited to bring you guys this next episode of the Focus Hunt Podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by my good buddy Paul McCartney. Uh, him and I chat again. This time we actually hit up the topic of animal rights versus animal welfare. Uh, that was the subject we intended to get to on the first episode we did together, episode 25. Um, so if you guys aren't familiar with Paul, you can uh, you can back up a few episodes and check that out. He's also been on uh, some other great podcasts, Panoramic Outdoors, The Honey Collective, and uh, yeah, those are actually good podcasts, so I suggest hitting those ones up first. Anyway, uh, what else we got going on? Um, man, I got some pretty super cool shows coming up, so I'm stoked to get those out to you guys uh what else we got we got uh, spring bear open now in a lot of places spring turkey just opened i got out for one pitiful day of turkey hunting shitty effort on my part um i'll get after it here chase some spring goblas those ugly frustrating damn birds that i just love to hunt anyway i'm gonna get going on a tangent here so let's just get going with this episode This sucks. How you doing? Good. Did you want to do video or, or is that will that crash your internet? Yeah, let's not do video. <laughs> okay. Yeah, things are good. It's been uh, uh, pouring rain and fog and wind here for the last like eight days or something. So. It's terrible. Yeah, we're the opposite. We need some rain already. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. Yeah. So you got, you got lots to do. Coming up, coming up yeah. soon? Um, five days. Five days, nice. Pretty stoked about that. What's Early the, mornings like, again. Yeah, and what's the, um, like how challenging is, is turkey there? Is it super tough? Tough. Yeah. It's tough. Like once you get on some birds, it's good. It's It's not that hard. The hard part is locating them. You know what BC is like. It's just mountains and well, and westerns and... don't. Western turkeys don't like they they roost in the different trees pretty much constantly, right? Yeah, you're never gonna find them in the same 
really in the same area and i haven't anyway but I mean. yeah no that's that's what like i remember when i started hunting turkeys that was the big difference that i learned about was like easterns as long as as long as they don't like get spooked off the roost they'll go back to the same tree every night um but i remember hearing like westerns you just can't rely on that you can't like find the roost tree and then just go back there a few days later like it's got you got to put them to bed to know where they are exactly yeah if they're not squawking like there's the topography out here is it's there's a lot of ground a lot of hills a lot of trees and not very many turkeys so right a needle in a haystack are they big callers the western birds yeah in the morning like when they're rutting they'll they'll go off in the morning so that's typically the the time to get after them okay. i shot a bird one year at like around 11 or 11 30 but, but that's uh, late though that typically that's like like that's late that, that would be too late like you, you'd think that the, like the prime time is done by then yeah yeah well i actually went in there and i heard them i heard them going off at like four in the morning and then mm-hmm. i couldn't get out to where they were without getting busted so i just hunkered down to where i knew they were gonna where there was enough cover for the afternoon and i got one so. mm, nice yeah i've had like i've i've like hunted turkeys for many many years and have never been successful well like not since we moved here because we don't have them here but in ontario um we worked for a guiding my wife and I, we worked for a guiding company for a while and so it was sort of like a bit of a, a bit of a double-edged sword where um, whenever they had people who wanted to be guided for turkey the deal was like the, the clients get first dibs right like they get toms first and they would always get we would always book them or like for the opener and the, the first week and then after that then we had the run of the property and it was like you have a full access to the property but which was great but except that by the, that, that time like after the first week either or both of these situations were true the big the big toms have been killed and you've just run around and made so much ruckus that like you've you've spooked them out of the mm. where where you had found them roosting before so it, it like we ended up in situations where we like had many big birds killed called them in set up did all the scouting, but then neither one of us have been able to actually be successful ourselves. Um, so it's like, it's a tricky one for me with turkeys. I love them. I love hunting turkeys, but I, I like. It's a love to hate for sure. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, I'm like, I had so many times where you're sitting and sitting and sitting and they're just silent. Like you look up and there's a turkey in front of you and they, they, they've, they've walked in. Hold, that's why I asked about how, how vocal they are. Cause the ours will be super vocal early in the morning, same as you. And then it's like, all of a sudden, the one's in front of you. And it could be anything. It could be Tom or DeHen or whatever. And it's just standing there and you have not heard a thing. Yeah, they're exactly the same way here. During the rut, you might get them gobbling in, you know, in the afternoon, but only when they're heavy in the rut. But when everything's trying to kill you, you learn to be pretty stealthy. Oh, exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 Especially when like, and the ones that would be, we tend, that I find would be really quiet. Well, it was, it was like, I would get jakes that, that weren't quite legal to shoot. And it's like, yeah, like if I was, if I was the scrawny, got the runt on the playground, I also wouldn't make a lot of noise, right? Like they just kind of roam around, but they don't, yeah. the same way you get the same with deer and stuff too, right? It's not the, it's not the little, the little two, two-year-olds that are, that are grunting a lot, right? So. They're tricky, man. Yeah, I miss turkey hunting more than anything. Like I miss turkey hunting more than deer hunting. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it, you try to explain to people, I'm like, you got to go. You just got to go get into it. Well, it is. It's so true. eh? And it's funny because like a lot of new hunters, like when we worked for this company, they were also a a licensing, like they also did the firearms and hunting licensing courses. Right. So 
it was sort of a one-stop place. You come in and get your licenses and then do a hunt with them as well. But a lot of people were coming in and getting their hunting licenses. And it, you know, it's, they're like, yeah, I want to try hunting. I don't think I could shoot a deer yet, but I could definitely shoot a turkey. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I get what you're saying because you think that you're disassociating from them and that they're ugly and this and that, but wait till you hunt turkeys. And I'm like, when you do it, you are going to love it so much that you're still going to want to shoot turkeys, but it's not going to be because you think that they're stupid and ugly. It's going to be because you like fall in love with them. <laughs> they drive you mental. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I wrote a blog post a few years back about it just being like, like I've never loved anything that I've apparently been so unsuccessful with before in my entire life. And to non-turkey hunters, you just can't explain it. You got to just know like, exactly. Man. And especially people who are like, I'm a big game hunter and I, 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 I won't, I wouldn't lower myself to hunt turkeys. And I'm just like, Oh yeah, you and I, you and I will never see eye to eye. On this exactly. And it's like, dude, just go out and try it. And if you think it's easy, it's not. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's really to me, like what I, I one of the things I love about it is it really is where like big game meets small game. Right. Uh, it's sort of like, sounds like a bit of a cliche now, but it's like, you have all like, in terms of the big game stuff, you have, the calling and you have the the sort of um the uh, the tactics the similar strategies but then it's it's a bird and they fly and they run and they like tear around and in, in, in like uh, in big groups and you have the same sort of small game kind of dynamics too i was talking to uh to greg from the hunting public those guys hunt birds from march to june it's it's that's oh a long gosh, hunt really? yeah and they get where's to, that down the states there they go around the lower states different open oh i see yeah yeah okay gotcha they get to hunt yeah if i could do that like if someone gave me like a year of hunting right like hunt everything everything you want for a year like i probably would feel compelled to choose like sheep (laughs) or something yeah but if but if it was a more practical thing if someone's if it was like you have to pay for yourself but you just get a year i it would be totally turkeys just do all of the spring and fall seasons everywhere you can be great i've never hunted them in the fall but it's probably pretty tough it is and, and it ends up like we we had a, a fall season in ontario because because the population that was purely a um a sort of a reduction strategy for um because you could you could shoot two birds in the spring not on the same day but just males right during during the uh, nesting season it was just males in the fall you could shoot anything it, that and that was a population man control thing so you could shoot a male or a female in the fall um the challenge was that it was well, um, it was close too close to the deer hunt, or, or and so a lot of we were always focusing on deer. It was both season, so we were always always focused on um, on deer at that point. Um, so did not it, there, not a lot of people were out shooting turkeys in the fall uh, in Ontario, but people did it. I mean, especially if you if you have a bow and you can and you could shoot a turkey and um, not bust your deer hunt, right? Yeah, Th- that's the thing is. Yeah, there's just too many tags, especially in BC yeah. here. You just got too much opportunity on other animals, so it's tough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's but it's also just great to have a spring season, and there's nothing else. Yeah. like that was the that was my favorite part about it was like getting to have a season in between. Yeah, it breaks it up a bit. Yeah, yeah. and because they, they didn't have a bear hunt out in Ontario for the longest time. That's right. Yeah, and so that's it. That's exactly it. Once that got brought back, um, and that one's uh, I'm trying to think that one's earlier i believe no no i yeah they changed the seasons all around now so i don't recall but yeah exactly when they brought that back 
everyone was super pumped about that. And it was, it was just as much to have another spring season as it was for like the actual hunt. Right. Bear opens here April 1st, but I don't start bear hunting until into May. That's when I start getting serious about it. Yeah. The season, the spring season in Labrador when we were there for bear was amazing. Um, it so I think it was like, okay, let me remember how this goes here. The spring season opened up early. So like as soon as they were out of hibernation, you could, you, the season was open. So, you know, it was March or something. The spring season closed on like July 25th or something like that. And then the fall season opened. No, I guess it was July 1st. And then the fall season opened on August 15th. So yeah. It, it, and it was the same tag. You, you bought one license that was good for two bears a year, any season. Yeah. So it was, a, it was great. You, you like, I mean, I remember one year hunting right up until the end. Well, actually this past year, we, we got a bear in June and if we had stayed, it would have, then it would have, we, we were like, we got it so late in the spring that we, we actually wouldn't have had space in the freezer for another bear in the fall. So yeah, here we have a long season too. It's April 1st to June 30th. And then it actually opens again, August 1st for, and then it's. Oh but, my gosh, yours is even a shorter wait time. But August 1st, it's uh, limited to private only. And then September 1st, it opens up again and it's wide open again till November. Oh, that's interesting. Just private land, huh? Yeah. August, all August is private land only. only so, but wow. they're pretty much nocturnal in, in August. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, we can continue to hunt bears past this year. We'll see. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I like, I cannot see black bear hunting being like realistically, I know people want it to, but like, I really like, do you think that, do you think that it, it might actually come to that? I don't know. I was surprised when they stopped grizzly bear hunting. I was too. And that happened pretty quick. It seemed right. Like there was talks about, because the way it was structured before was that you could hunt, didn't have to take the meat out. So the understanding was that, okay, they're going to just implement the law that you have to take the meat out like black. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that they, I didn't know that grizzly bears were exempt from that. But, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, black bears like that would be, it would be the province is going to have some major problems like uh, ecologically if they cancel the black bear hunt. Yeah. Well, even with grizzly bears, I mean, there's no shortage of grizzly bears in British Columbia. No. And, and or, there's first nations up in the North who, this past fall have said like we never wanted the bear hunt to end like we were not part of that group that wanted to end and they are now asking they're requesting their members to go shoot grizzly bears because they're becoming such a problem yeah well that Tultan nation they put a bounty on them oh did they i didn't i didn't hear about that that's the, that's the group that i'm thinking of the nation i'm thinking about i didn't realize it was a bounty but i mean yeah like i've seen grizzly bears last fall and even grizzly bear tracks this spring um, in places that I've, I've had never seen grizzly bears and I've been in that area for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So and I mean, the, the well, I mean, the province acknowledged, oh yeah, here it is here. The narwhal has, has a, in October did a thing around paying members to hunt bears and bears and wolves. Yeah. Yeah. The wolves are a huge problem too up north. Yeah. Hmm. But I don't know what, yeah, but some people who don't understand it, they sure have a, a sympathy for bears and wolves. And like, yeah. Until, until it affects them though. You know what I mean? Like, well, that, like, but that's the other thing to me is that like, I also love bears and wolves. Oh yeah. Me too. I love them. Like I, I actually have no interest in hunting a wolf myself, but my, 
I, I find no like no internal contradiction to in like loving bears and shooting bears, right? Like, but at the so, same time, the wolves. Uh, unfortunately, the wolves have to be managed because humans oh, are totally. just encroach too far on their land. That now we have to deal with it. Exactly, and like I have supported wolf hunts. I just am personally not interested in doing it, right? Like, but I like support the like the wolf hunt and support the use. I've I've had I've had coat. I've actually, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. I've had we both had coats with wolf trim, and they've been. I wouldn't give that up for a second. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting anyway. So mm -hmm. we'll see. I don't know if they take away the bear hunt, there's going to be, well, there's going to be problems. I think you'll start to notice it in places like Whistler and stuff, places, yeah. the more populated areas, you'll start to see more um, interactions with grizzly bears and an interaction with a black bear is one thing, but once you have an interaction with a grizzly bear, mm -hmm. it's a lot different. And it is, but, and the interesting thing about black bears, is I think people kind of get into this, they just happened to, in Ontario when they can't the hunt and the, and the black bear pop. I mean, there were, there were, you know, something like 200,000 black bears in the, in the province. Um, and people were like, well, they're, but they're not that dangerous. And it's like, well, that may be so they're not killing people. That's right. But that's not the, that's not the baseline for when they become a problem, right? The government had spent millions of dollars trying to just deal with the bears that had come into conflict with humans and it didn't work. Like the, the program didn't work. They were, it was a big, huge relocation program, right? They chop a bear and drive it out somewhere and drop it off. Um, but like, it's like scooping water out of a leaky boat. Like more water is just coming in when you move a bear, when you take a bear out of a place that bears want to be, it just opens up that space for another bear to go in. <laughs> so yeah. like, um it didn't it didn't work and that's the thing to me is that like even if you're like well they're, but they're not that physically dangerous and it's like well no but they're still they're still causing a lot of money to need to be spent on them and it's not good for the bears the bears are not living you know hashtag living their best life being overpopulated that much no well that's when you get disease and you get you know yeah it's just, just trouble nourish bears it's like yeah. it's a big one right you get like like reproduction success lowering and well, you get bears killing each other a lot more yeah well and that's the thing is if you get hungry bears and you know people are stupid they leave the garbage out put the garbage out too early and then that's when you have conflict and black bear can still mess a human up still can oh, kill totally. a human but a grizzly bear is a lot different mm -hmm. grizzly bear wants something that's going to get it yeah interesting um You've been pretty busy lately. You're a, a podcast hit. Well, apparently, this is just all new. This is all recent. <laughs> well, um, your uh, your article is getting a lot of attention lately. I mean, well deserved well, and attention. It's funny because it, like that one was out for quite a while, right? But I think when Conservation Frontlines reposted it, I think it made the rounds a little bit more, um, which is yeah. kind of cool for me because they're a great organization. I've been working with them for a couple of years now. They've reposted a bunch of stuff, but that one seemed to, to just be the right timing for that one. Um, yeah. And you, but again, you're like, it was like how you and I talked last time, like we had, we did a full podcast and never even got to it. And like, that's the point to me. Like that's, that, that's the, that's the, really the goal of it is to like, it just spurs conversation, even if it's not about that exact topic. Right. Cause you've been, uh, I just seen you recently on, uh, the hunting collective. You were on yeah. ceramic outdoors. It's been, it's been kind of fun. It's totally new. Like I, it's totally new for me still. Um, but yeah, it's been fun. 
I had something I was going to ask you. You don't remember. Anyway. Yeah, that's good. Well-deserved. You got lots yeah. in there too. That's why when we, when we talked before we even did the podcast, cause we were talking for a while before that, mm-hmm. I wanted to have you on over a number of just to uh, break down some of your articles. Cause there's just so much great content that you can't cover it all in one, one hour podcast. Yeah, I totally hate it. It's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of different topics and um, yeah, no, it's, it's fun to, it's fun to like get to, to talk about them though. Um, and, and sort of dig in like it. And I sort of feel like sometimes I'll, put stuff in writing and I can always go back and edit. And sometimes I do, I'll put something I realize like, Oh, actually, I don't really like that. I'll go back and edit it a bit, but it's an interesting exercise where once you say something that's recorded, um, it's it's there. Sort of, that's it. It's out there. And, and, um, I struggle with this sometimes, like, I don't mind being wrong. I have no issue with that. Right. I don't want to be ignorant. Um, yeah. and I also worry about like, I also get in my own head around, people we need to be wrong because that's oh, yeah. it spurs other people to, to look into things and we need to have that um being irrelevant <laughs> is a challenge where you where like you say something and it's like it's it's actually it's actually completely irrelevant to the to the conversation and no one cares about it and it's not at all helping advance the conversation and that part is what sort of um makes my head spin a bit that i that i get concerned about um and again when you say it on in a, when it's recorded yeah, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, but like you said, everybody's wrong. I'm wrong all the time. So yeah, oh yeah. Whatever. They don't like it. Don't fuck it. Listen, that's what I say. <laughs> yeah, skip ahead thirty seconds, and I'll be wrong about something different. <laughs> yeah, go to the next episode. I'll be wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. So, but when did you like? When did you first write that that article? Appreciating nuances. You said it, it was so out for a was... while. Yeah, so it was August, last August, 2020. Um, and I had started, I think, to work on it, I think like a year ago, roughly from now. Um, and to be honest, like I, I came across as I, I was, I was, um, I had submitted a couple of things to an organization called Truth About Fur, which is a Canadian organization that really tries to um, advance discussion and understanding of of trapping and, and fur products. Um, and they have an article on there around animal welfare and animal rights. It's, it's much shorter. Um, they kind of just, it's more descriptive. Uh, and I had, I actually, I had proposed the topic to them and they, that they had said, well, we actually already have one of these on here. Um, but feel free to like take that and expand on it for your own site. So I did, that's basically what I did is I kind of used theirs as inspiration and dug into it a little more. Um, so I've been thinking about it for a while, but, um, to be honest, I wasn't really sure that there was much interest in it. I didn't, I didn't know if anyone would really, if it would just be too in the weeds, if people would kind of, if people would just kind of say, you know, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Like it's, we're splitting hairs at this point, but the more I, the more I looked into it and read about it and researched the, the histories of these two ideas, um, I realized that no, there is, there's quite a bit of difference here and it's a lot more relevant to hunters and trappers and anglers than than just being a kind of intellectual exercise. It's a hit anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, it's a little harder now to talk about it, uh, to talk about this conversation without just uh, going over the same exact content that you've gone over in your other podcast. So it's a little tricky now. We should have got at it a month and a half ago. It would have seemed all, all new, but. There's so many other, um, there's so many other angles to take to take to it. And, it. and it keeps coming up. I mean, that's the other thing that's been interesting is that, um, 
it keeps coming up. Like just last night I was, um, I came across a post by um, that new documentary on Netflix, Sea Spiracy. I haven't watched it. I never, I haven't actually watched it yet um, around like commercial fishing and, and ocean ecology and things, but they put up a post yesterday, I think it was, um, or at least that's when it kind of blew up was yesterday. So March, uh, April 9th um, around the seal hunt. And it was another, another of these, you know, end the seal hunt. They launched a petition to call on the Canadian government to end the seal hunt and to shut down the seal hunt. And it was, it was a, a lot of the same rhetoric, the same kind of you know, regurgitated imagery that's been going around for 40 years around the seal hunt. And, it, and it's once again, came back up this whole, what we were seeing was a, um, a lot of people sort of circling around this, this sort of difference between animal rights and animal welfare, and then like and ethics and animal ethics as well. Right. Um, so it just, yeah. it just kind of reinforces me that, that there are, there are so many different angles to take to this. And, and I think, um, I haven't seen a few of them. I haven't seen really us really kind of digging into them yet. Um, so there's still plenty to talk about. <laughs> well, like the, the seal controversy that's been going on for years. Like I started fishing in early two thousands and that was going on well before my time. And again, it's, it comes down to, comes down to humans. Like, yeah, we, we created all the chaos and people always say, Oh, well, just let nature take its course. Let nature take its course. Yeah, well, that's fine. But you have to take, in order to do that, you have to take humans out of that equation altogether, and which is impossible to do now. Mm -hmm. so. That's right. And, um, and it's, it's irresponsible to, 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 you know, quote, let nature take its course. Because um, as you say, we, we've altered, it's not just that we've altered ecosystems, right? People, I mean, we, we of course know that we have, we've cut forests down and we have, um, plow drain wetlands and build houses and all that sort of all that but we've also altered processes to such a great extent um and we've and the the loss of biodiversity throughout the world has changed the functioning of ecosystems to the point where to, to just remove humans or to not like to like um to stop managing rather humans let's say humans stay but we just we just all of a sudden stop managing would be irresponsible of us because it's a, you know, essentially we're just not not dealing with the problems that we've created. Um, well, exactly, so. and, and animals don't know. Like a, the the wolf doesn't know that the caribou is almost extinct. It's mm -hmm. not that it doesn't. It just right. It's not in its nature. No, you know that's right. I mean? The wolf is not managing the caribou. Oh, exactly. Right? It's our responsibility to manage the caribou, and unfortunately, we have to manage the wolves in order to manage the caribou. And, yeah, I mean it's it it's not that we don't want wolves on the landscape. It's just we want caribou on the landscape as well, and we want moose and we want we want ungulates there. And in order to do so, we have to manage these the wolf populations. And unfortunately, there's only one way to do that. Yeah, and I think yeah, exactly. And I think like where we get into some issues in the in the broader discourse around it is when we start to equate things that have not that we have not yet established are, are equal right so we start to equate um the idea the concept of management with the concept of human dominion and, and, and domination over nature and we start to equate that with um, humans hating and despising certain species and then we start to equate that with um 
an idea that we that we don't care about the welfare of animals. But we haven't yet actually established any link between those things that they just sort of we just sort of slide into those right. Um, and when we go back to, to the first part of that, which is the idea that we are managing, um, certainly there are cases where that's how people think, right? I, I hate that species. I want them gone. And ha there have been cases of that. Um, but I think we'll find that most management systems in North America, at least at this point, are not thinking about management in terms of the, that sort of slippery slope, that domination, that despise, despising certain species and things like that. So, um, but when we don't, but when we don't sort of pause to interrogate that and think we can manage without those those other more negative implications. It could be through. It can be we can manage also with an, with a, a deep consideration and care for things like welfare, animal welfare. Um, and I mean, it's not necessarily the idea of animal rights, um, but it, but it's certainly with with an eye towards the welfare of those species and the landscapes that they live on. And that is a slippery slope too, a really slippery slope. And the thing is, once something is gone, it's not always gone forever. But um, I mean, like with the southern caribou herd, once that it's gone it's going to be gone forever i mean caribou will still be around up north just because um you know that's more more of what they're capable of surviving in but you know it's like the buffalo it, if it wasn't for a few key moments in history the buffalo could have easily been gone as well so totally and like and, and i this is where i kind of get into the when i go i'll go back to when i when i was saying oh maybe maybe i'm just splitting hairs with this stuff and I'm like, well, even on the case of the buffalo, you look around North America and at, at you know, first glance, right? If you're in a sort of an alien just watching this from, from space, the buffalo have come, have in many cases um, come back. I mean, Yukon has buffalo, you know, wood bison in the Yukon are, are above the population goal, well above the population goal. But when you look around and get into the more finer scales of, of Buffalo populations throughout the continent. Yeah, many of them have domestic cattle genes in them. Yeah, the, but those buffalo have come back because of humans. It's because of oh, what absolutely. we've done. I mean, I mean, okay, yeah, we we fucked up in the first, and we almost made them extinct. So yeah, that's our bad. But we realized that there, you know, that's what I mean. There was a couple key players in history that realized what was going on, and you know, made changes to reverse it. And that's the kind of the same thing we have to do now, you know, with the caribou and how we have to treat the wolves and mm -hmm. stuff like that. The only difference is from when those guys like Teddy Roosevelt were making change, they didn't have to deal with, you know, social media and, exactly. um, yeah. the, you know, PETA and, you know, those moments weren't really there. I mean, okay. I mean, you could go back, like in your article, you talk about, um, the origins of animal rights like that, mm -hmm. like this has been going on animal rights activists. They've been around, for, you know, safe to say thousands of years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's safe to say the hunters have been around for even longer than that. So the rift between hunters and non hunters, it's, it's nothing new. Right. But mm -hmm. it's just the way it is now um, where if hunters and conservationists try to try to interact and, and um, you know, try to be true conservationists and help these species. It's a lot different now than it was, you know, 200 years ago or 150 years ago. It's just you yeah. a lot more fingers involved now. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and other more variables as well. You know, when, um, well, just kind of going on the case of the, of the Buffalo, right? Um, at that time, when, when we needed to start addressing massive Buffalo decline, we didn't have at the same time, um, rampant urban development and other, there was still habitat for the buffalo. Lots of it, and lots of it, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we have, and so, yeah, as you say, they, you know, these, these ideas and, the, and to the, I, I kind of, in the piece that we're talking about, I sort of differentiate between animal rights as a, as a philosophy, as a way of thinking about human relationships with, with wildlife, with animals, and then as a movement, as a more organized social movement. And yes, I mean, been around even as an organized movement, um, since you know, at least the middle of the 1800s, um, but it, yeah, it, it definitely manifested differently because the issues were different. And so to to sort of just con- continue um, a philosophy and and just kind of um, superimpose it on on a context in 2021 is not necessarily appropriate for the the issues that we're facing, the way that other lines of thinking have changed over time. Um, the species that we're dealing with. Um, do you know what I mean? Like the, the, the yep. whole context has changed. And so um, yeah. just as our, our knowledge has, so I think so should our, our way of um, evaluating what we do. And, and, it, and it gets super complex. I mean, well, yeah, exactly. It does. I mean, this conversation is so it's, I mean, it's multifaceted. I mean, there was a time when, yes, I mean, animal rights that, that had to be taken into consideration because, you know, the buffalo or, or inhumane treatment of animals is that's just there's no excuse for that you don't need we don't need that well and maybe we should like back up a tiny bit too and like to go in kind of reverse chronology right i sort of talked about the some of the first the first like movement around animal rights was really focused on two main issues right treatment of domestic farm animals and um the scientific experimentation on animals in many, which in many cases was was horrific. Um, you know, people. There's 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 a famous story about Rene Descartes, and we don't. I don't really know if he actually did this, but the, the lore at this point is that Descartes would um, would pin dogs to a to a board and, and experiment on them while they were alive to, to to test for various responses to pain and and things. Um, so th- when the animal rights movement started, it was really about focusing on those issues around scientific experimentation and treatment of, of domestic farm animals, which in, 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 uh, also in many cases was, um, was brutal. Um, and so those, those two, I don't, I don't personally know any hunters who would disagree with those ideas. I, I, any no. hunter that I know is, would, would f- fully agree that farm animals should be treated with some respect and care and that experimenting on animals while they're alive is not okay. All animals, yeah, and I, I right. agree. I, I, there is, I, I hope there's no hunters out there that, you know, um, are okay with inhumane or poor treatment of any animals. Totally, but, yeah, yeah, and that's where the, I kind of say like this, that, that um, I think it's it's worth considering how this how this started. I mean, I, I and I, and that's not to say that that I am now sympathetic to the Humane Society trying to stop the seal hunt. I'm not, (laughs) 
but oh. just that just but, that um when we yeah those are two different to, to me those are two different issues though exactly you know? yeah like the absolutely uh, it gets back to management where we have to step mm-hmm. in it now it's our responsibility as humans because we've taken up so much of the natural land roads cities right and Mm -hmm. that's what makes me kind of weary moving forward where we're going to be at in 20 years with animals and human interaction if anti-hunting groups had their way or say animal rights groups had their way if we step back and didn't deal with these issues and just let nature take its course so to speak where would we be we're going to lose we we will have unprecedented extinction that's that's where we'd be yeah we're going to lose a lot exactly all yeah. We're already losing a lot of natural resources as, as our population grows, especially here in Canada. I mean, you know, in BC, especially, we see it all the time. And Ontario is the mm-hmm. same thing, right? It's just, it's expanding. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. If we don't have, and I you know, again, like we can, we, we, you and I using the word management, but someone else might prefer to, you know, stewardship or care over, but, but some sort of human interaction with the landscape to mitigate problems, right? If we don't have that, oh yeah, no, we're, we we will we will lose species, um, yeah, constantly. Um, so we do need that. And I mean, the other part, though, to me, especially about this, um, and where I really kind of find myself, where I kind of pinpoint the divergence of, for myself with the idea of animal rights. Um, you know, in the nineteen when in the nineteen seventies, the animal rights movement really f- sort of finally and firmly said where they stake their kind of their claim on this is they are one they are opposed to killing animals for any purpose food science this is a quote for food science or sheer personal indulgence yeah um, and that was PETA who came out with that statement where they said yeah they well it was it was yeah a couple authors and that's and PETA really took that on exactly and and to me but, that okay well that's where I diverge now that's where I go one go one way and they kind of went another yeah. way but they use that as as their staple, whereas they said that, exactly. that was underlining black and white. If you know, you're either in or you're out. They kind of just drew a line in the sand and said you're either on this side and you believe this exact statement, or you're on the other side. There's no exactly. like, there's no room for middle ground there, which is a bad. No, that's right. It's is, it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible, and it doesn't. And this is where it kind of comes back to what we were saying a few minutes ago around the kind of the the complexity of the systems that we're dealing with now. That way of thinking, um, rarely the um, what I mean by that is that way of kind of dichotomizing, right? If this, this is the line in the sand, pick a side. Rarely reflects the realities of any social system or ecological system, um, and in con- the context of, of animal of, of wildlife conservation and management, ecological management, it absolutely does not reflect. The, the, the nature of the social ecological systems that we're dealing with now. Um, it doesn't reflect, uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't have space for the historical relationships between humans and wildlife. It doesn't, and it doesn't have, um, it doesn't make space for the realities of the pressures that we are dealing with today, which is what we were just talking about around, um, you know, whether that's um, human expansion or, or um, climate change or species extinctions or whatever the case is, that way of sort of, line in the sand thinking um it's just not going to generate the kinds of um, responses and and ways of dealing with things um that we need to in in the current systems yeah and it's funny you mentioned climate change because it wasn't until i had a conversation with an outfitter up north that 
um, you know, then he really introduced how much climate change is affecting the caribou. Um, mm-hmm. they, I mm-hmm. guess they used to have lower level snow packs and the caribou would use these snow packs to get away from the flies, the infestation yeah. of flies up north. And now they don't have these. Now they don't have these low lying snow packs and the caribou are actually getting eaten to death by the flies up there. So, yeah. And it, it totally, the, the insect harassment on ungulates, moose deal with this as well. Um, yeah. Is it, it drives them out of food sources, right? But it drives them into, and this is the, yeah, it's super interesting, right? Is that, it's not in that case, in some cases it is, it's purely that they, like you say, they're just being, I mean, they're, they're, the, the sheer volume of insects feeding on these, on, on these animals can, can lead to de- death. Yeah, you think about what how was, many, what it must be like, like, Oh my gosh. Imagine yeah. getting eaten to death by black flies. Oh, dude, I lived in Labrador. I can imagine that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, other thing <sighs> that we see with, with moose sometimes that they're being, part of the impact is that they're being driven out of by insects they're being driven out of um to areas for um refuge so whether in some cases that's they'll move on to um into areas that, that are more exposed to the wind mm-hmm. to drive the insects away and what that does is it pull it pushes them out of areas of, of food sources um so you have yeah, exactly. this you have these these kind of layered impacts where it's it's direct impact of insects but it's also that um that these individuals are not able to eat the, the right kind of food that they need just for and so they're being they're becoming far more you know malnourished as well yeah yeah as the, I, yeah like i said it's just it's so multifaceted that it just it's just and you have to take all these different sides and all these different values and you you got to put it into one sort of equation but i mean that's pretty tough mm-hmm. yeah it totally is um, man um I think, would you be able to explain the difference between animal welfare and animal rights? I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm. we keep talking about it, but maybe yeah. people listening are, might be thinking, what are these two guys talking about? Yeah, we, they, yeah and, that's right. We, and our conversation, it's funny, our conversation, it all, I mean, I love our conversations, but they always seem to get so, it's hard to stay on track. We just seem to get yeah. off into these little tangents. But maybe you can explain for, for the people listening who, who haven't yet read your article, the difference between yeah. animal welfare and animal rights. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's start with um, let's start with rights. The idea of animal rights, um, and this is, um, yeah, I mean, the, the idea of animal rights is really rooted in what we think of as a concept of rights, right? When we talk about human rights, um, I have the right to do this, and I have the right to be free from this, right? Um, and so, the, the fundamentally, the concept of animal rights is really r- rooted in. Um, the kind of the human system, the, the, the human, the, the system that we have of law and rights. And, and it's essentially taking that system of law and rights as devised by humans and applying it to animals. So um, if you trace this way back, if you trace the, the idea of, of um, where this came from way back, I mean, people were talking about this, you know, as early as, um, you know, the four and 500s BC, right? So um, you have philosophers talking about looking into and kind of questioning what is the relationship between humans and animals? You know, what does it mean if we kill animals? And this was a much more of a philosophical question, right? Um, we share the planet with these other species. Um, and what does this kind of, um, what does this mean for us if we kill them? And what is our relationship with them? When that started, when you sort of fast forward a bit, I mean, at, at that time, in those four and 500 BCs, we hadn't yet invented 
this idea of, of law rights that we have today, right? We didn't have um, the key texts and content and legal concepts. And, I, and I'll also clarify, I'm not a legal scholar. So anyone out there is a legal scholar and would like to add on to this, please write it, let me know. But when you kind of fast forward to, to, um, in time and history to where we started to give collectively give more shape to our idea of, of rights, um, you know, you come to, to things in the, in the 1700s, in the late 1700s, um, the uh, scholar Thomas Paine published a text called The um, Rights of Man. Um, and Mary Wollstonecraft then sort of took that and applied and, and wrote a text called The Vindication of the Rights of Women. And this is so really starting to explore the legal concept of rights in a human context. Um, and and what, do, what is this idea of human rights? We think of, I think, rights often as being, we talk about rights as being inalienable, right? I have the inalienable right to this, and which means it can never be taken away. It exists because I'm alive and I'm a person. But that, we have to also realize that that concept was created, right? We didn't, we made that as humans. We made the idea of rights. Um, and this is where it kind of comes from, is around um, this time. Um, and so that was when people sort of started to say, well, then what does it mean then to apply this concept of rights to animals? And should we? Um, and if we do, um, what does that kind of, what does that, um, what does that mean? And what are the implications of that for, for dealing with animals? Um, and so there's, that was kind of where this, um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think it's, 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 again, just sort of worth highlighting that um, this is really rooted in, people talk about animal rights a lot, but it's, it's really important to emphasize that it's rooted in a very particular cultural tradition. The idea of rights differs wildly around the world, right, and across cultures. Um, and so therefore also we have to recognize that talking about animal rights is rooted in a very particular um, kind of cultural and, and intellectual tradition, which is Western, which is largely like Western Europe, right? It's European and it's European knowledge. So to, to say that this is that animals have, have rights the same way that humans do rests on and depends on a really particular and culturally specific idea of um, what animals are, what humans are, the relationship between animals and humans, and um, and it also depends on an idea that, at least an implicit idea, that our idea of rights is is infallible, right? That we that this is the, this is the correct way for us to think about humans and animals existing. Our legal system is correct, and we'll just apply that to animals. And then we'll have we'll have the right way to, for us to relate to animals. And so, I also have issue with that. I mean, I also take issue with the idea that um, the premise that our legal traditions are 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 perfect and infallible. So we should just apply them to animals for one, and for two, that the um, cultural traditions on which those are built, your Western European, is the superior way of of thinking about the world. Um, and a lot of cultures around the world would also take issue with that. I think. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's such a, there's such a fine line there. Unfortunately, we can't just treat animals as, as we do with, you know, human beings who know they're breaking the law. 
we can't oh, treat totally. them. That's where, yeah. Like to say, like, yeah. To, by contrast, animal rights movement dictates the use of animals for any human or as any human benefit is wrong. And that's mm -hmm. right out of your article for, mm -hmm. you know, just basically to sum up what, what we're talking about of, of what animal rights is. But when you start breaking it down like that, yeah, I mean, you st we start getting into where some people say, well, um, animals have rights, humans have rights, animals have rights. And how we treat humans, you know, how we implement the rights that humans have is through law. Can't do the same thing with animals we just can't know exactly are you are we we're not going to convict animals exactly exactly like the wolf doesn't again back to that conversation where the wolf doesn't know that he's killing off all the caribou he doesn't know that right and it's not so we can't inflict the same punishment on the wolf that we're doing i mean and a lot of people are going to be saying oh yeah well we are but you guys are killing all the wolves or you're okay with a wolf call and like well um no it's just unfortunately that's where where humans have let it come to that we, we created that right this is human involvement on the landscape that has created these issues um, yeah no I, but I totally I, agree I, and that's and that's where i, I, say get, I have but, a bit of an issue but. yeah exactly and it's hard to it's hard it's i mean it's such a tricky conversation it's so hard to no it is and and i mean this is where i'm drawn to is a good kind of segue because this is where i, I have some issues with um with just the idea that we should just apply a, a, a very kind of European and Western concept and system onto animals. I mean, um, it's, it's a very, you know, Eurocentric way of thinking about it. Um, that this is the, this is how we, this is the way that we appropriately relate to and, and, and um, care for animals. And, and that's it. And I mean, this is where I'm sort of drawn to the idea of animal welfare, which is much more. So for, for, folks that kind of distinguish these, um, it's much more focused on um, things that a lot, that that every hunter, trapper, and angler I know are, will be familiar with, which is just, which is to, um, it does not condemn the use of animals. Yeah, here I'll read, a, I'll, I'll read a sentence out of your article. Yeah. Rather Please. animal wealth, rather animal welfare focuses on reducing suffering and treating animals with respect and care basically the difference where we're still realizing the fact that yes animals do need to be treated we do need to reduce suffering um, animals do need to be treated with respect and care and they need our help where animal rights activists are just saying no any consumption or any use of animals for any human benefit is absolutely wrong that's it that's right, right. yes exactly and um and you know where i where i really sort of like the idea of something like animal welfare, which we can, we can, you know, in the context of this discussion, we could think of it around um, uh, hunting ethics. I mean, hunting Well, ethics, fair chase, fair chase. Right, fair chase, exactly, brings all of this in. And I mean, when we, when we, every time that a hunter has a conversation around, you know, minimum bow poundage to kill a moose, right? What is required to kill a moose or minimum caliber required to, to deliver sufficient energy to kill an animal or that a trapper thinks about, well, I'm going to use a 220 bear trap because that's, that's large enough to, um, to kill a, a beaver quickly. That's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about really, really, right? Like how do we reduce to the greatest extent possible the chances that that animal is going to be wounded and suffer longer, right? We're, we're looking for a quick kill, right? We're looking for a clean, we talk about clean, efficient kill. And that's, 
um, in addition to, of course, not wanting to lose the animal, we're, we're thinking about animal welfare. We're thinking, how do we reduce the chances that the animal is going to, going to suffer? Um, and hunters and trappers have been at the leading edge of this. Yeah, um, and, and it, it was also all these regulations were established by hunters. Yeah, it's enforced by government agencies, but this all came through from hunters. All these rules, yeah. these regulations were established by hunters because there was a time where they realized that this resource needed to be protected. Mm-hmm. If it was going to be a renewable resource, it had to be utilized in the ways that we see now. Like, yeah, had to. There had to be seasons set. There had to be bag limits. There had to be restrictions. And that's why you have, I mean, open any regulation, any regulation for any province or any state now is that was all generated. That was all created from hunters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, hunters who had a very dynamic view of um, of how we relate to wildlife and then had an idea and, and recognized that um, we kind of live in this, in this sort of, um, emotionally and perhaps spiritually contradictory space where we say, yeah, we, we are, we're going to kill animals for human use, but we are going to, but at the same time, we have such, you know, deep care and respect for them. Um, and we don't find contradiction with that. I sort of say it's a contradictory space, but I think it's more accurate to say that we, um, we accepted that, that those two things can exist, um, in, in, in perfect parallel and they're not contradictory. Um, and that's where we sort of um, move away from from some of the other um, lines of thinking and, and, and philosophies around this is that we we understand that those those things are not contradictory. Um, so. Yeah, and you see, I, like myself, I I this is where I see the contradiction in um, groups like PETA and animal rights activists is that you know an elk, a deer, or a turkey like we were talking for. I have developed a huge love and respect for animals through hunting. And I know more about these animals than probably a lot of the people, in, not all of them, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are well more informed about certain animals than I am, but that was all developed through fair chase, through through hunting these animals. Yeah, so, yeah no, that, I don't totally. And it's really hard for me to explain the conversation with people in the non-hunting community because I get so frustrated and um, and, and you, you wrote a bit about this in your article, you know, avoid the fallacies and false dilemma. Yeah. And this is where I really, this is what really kind of um, struck me as perhaps the more useful, I find it interesting because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nerd with this stuff. I like to just think about it and learn about it. But I also kind of ask myself, well, what was the so what question? Like, why, what's the usefulness in actually um, having this conversation? And that's exactly what you just said is, is, how can this, in this case, how can um, kind of grasping and, and thinking about the difference between two related but importantly different ideas, human rights and or animal rights, animal welfare, what does that mean? How can that actually benefit hunters and hunting? And, and to me, that's exactly where it is, is um, when you and I are talking as two hunters, I don't feel the need to emphasize my care for animal welfare because I'm fairly confident that you get it and that we both agree on it. But when I'm talking to a non-hunter, I need to be able to explain it and I need to be able to put it in, in words and in, in terms, not that makes sense to me, but that makes sense to that person. And that's, I think the, the key part here is I can think of 10 different ways to explain 
how and why I care about animals that I hunt. But the only one that really matters is the one that the person I'm talking to is going to care about. And that's the important thing, because when you exactly like you said, when you and I are talking, there's nothing you're going to say to me that's going to turn me off hunting. It's not one. Right. Yeah. Possible. Now, if you if I was a non hunter, that's where it gets tricky is establishing a set of like I think I think a lot of hunters just avoid this conversation altogether because they don't they don't know how to address it. We have to be able to address these. And that's that's the tricky part is is addressing the issues of animal rights, because as a hunter, you're deeply concerned about animal as animal rights, as well as animal welfare. It's kind of like you're on both sides, but it seems that the other side is only on one side. Yeah, exactly. And I think, and that's where I, I sort of feel it, it, as hunters, if we can, if we can sort of, when speaking to non-hunters, especially, if we can start to um, reflect on, you know, how do we frame what we're saying in a way that they will, that they will, be sympathetic and understand. Um, animal welfare might be a window to that. It might be an avenue for that. If we can talk about, um, as a hunter, you know, say we, if we say to a non-hunter, and as a hunter, I'm deeply concerned about animal welfare. It's possible that they might then ask us, "Well, I don't understand. How? How can you be concerned about animal welfare and, and hunt?" And then we have a great avenue to the conversation because they've just shown us that they too care about animal welfare. And we don't have to get stuck in this dichotomy, right? We don't have to get stuck in this. I'm a hunter and therefore I'm anti-animal rights. Because yeah. what the other person hears then is you don't care about animals. But if we can say I'm a hunter and I care about animal welfare, that difference in framing there, I, I have found, can probably pull people into the conversation more. Um, because we, 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 put, we position our identity and our beliefs alongside something that that person also believes um right which is which is we both care about animals and not that not that we're positioning ourselves in opposition to something that that person might care about and it's 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 subtle and it's and it and it, it's not going to necessarily work every time but if we can find a way to um as they say sort of position ourselves with and not in opposition to something um to another person you know it, it may um it may open up the conversation a lot better for us. Yeah. And the two sides, I mean, unfortunately hunters and anti hunters, they're connected. Like it's, they're very contiguous. Like there's a lot of issues that there's a lot of issues that apply to both sides of the, both sides of the fence, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? In I animal rights. Exactly and animal. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, um, so um, I, I, and I come back to the seal issue quite a bit because I spent, that's what I did my, my PhD research on was SEALs. So I spent, um, I spent many, many years um, thinking about and watching and researching SEALs um, and hunting as well. But this is where I came to yesterday when I came across this, this social media post about the SEAL hunt. And, I, and um, you know, I had fully acknowledged that my first reaction was, well, then this organization's out. I, I will never work with them. I will never agree with them because of their position on the seal hunt, which I found to be um, immature and um, irresponsible. But then I stopped, so I, I stopped and thought about it afterwards and thought, you know, it's really not putting my money where my mouth is, is it, to say that because I disagree with them on this one issue, I have to write them off entirely. Right. Um, 
we may fully agree on many other things and disagree on this. And I think the real question, the more meaningful question is like, can I allow myself and can we both allow ourselves? I won't speak for them, but can we allow ourselves to work together on certain issues with the, with the knowledge and with the acceptance that that's the human emotion. Yeah. We're going to have to diverge. I know like, you know, we could both work together on issues around, um, you know, trawling for instance. And when, then when it comes to seal hunt, we're going to have to part ways. And, um, there are certainly some things that I'm, that I'm not willing to work with another organization on. And, um, if, if their position is that, that, you know, if, if an organization's position is that, you know, certain, there may be a time when, well, well you know what? No, we, we just can't work together on anything. But I had, I did have to check myself a little bit and based on what, and exactly what you just said that, you know, are there things that we can actually agree on for a time being? And do I owe it to my concern for wildlife and, and, and ecological health and biodiversity? Um, to put aside my own politics for a moment and um, recognize that if, if an organization is working towards something that is for the benefit of biodiversity, um, maybe I should be willing to work with them. Um, That's the, it's tough though, to eliminate our own human emotion. Oh, is it ever? Yeah. As again, yeah, there's going to be like, say, say uh, wildlife defense league. Um, they might be, say they're doing a project that, um saving the caribou saving the southern caribou herd and at the same time they're trying to stop the wolf hunt they had the grizzly bear ban they're attacking all these other hunts now how many hunters are going to help them out in their cause do you think there's any hunters that are willing to work with them on this project or vice versa do you think they're willing to work with any hunters exactly right now again the best thing for the animal is for us to put our human emotion out the window and just focus on the animal, but. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with Good luck. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And I, it, it, it's tough to, um, yeah, especially with such an emotional issue. I mean, hunting is not an, an, an unemotional issue. No, it's very, it's very emotional. And I think that's where a lot of non-hunters, they, I, I don't think they see the emotion in hunt. I agree. Yeah, they don't agree. see the connection. They're just missing that. They're and, just and that's another as... reason why I sort of say like, you know, I think it's beneficial to us to emphasize um and you even you get it could be animal welfare, it can be um it can be storytelling, it can be family value, whatever it is. But I think it's I think it's beneficial for us to find ways to express that aspect of hunting to non-hunters. Yeah. I wish there was um, some I wish there was one piece of advice somebody can give all the hunters out there just how to address like just one common sentence just to oh, yeah. what to say to an but and it, it's hard to ap approach people because non-hunters are all going to see it in different they're going to have a different perspective they're going to see it in a different light so one thing that is okay with say one non-hunter it's not necessarily going to be okay with another non-hunter yeah that's a really good point man um people have uh, yeah that's a super they, good point and i mean the research is out there to show this right that non-hunters when when asked about their approval of hunting their um their approval changes depending on a, a many different factors so when you ask a non-hunter um do you approve of hunting for food overwhelmingly the majority is yes. yes when when you start to break down into different motivations and different species that starts to change 
But then again, when you ask an anti-hunter, do you approve of hunting for anything? Their answer is going to be no. Oh, and so absolutely. like you say, the it's it's a it's a you know, it's a really wide range of people so, perspectives. For myself, I I find it hard to believe that any anti-hunter is not a vegan. Like I find it hard to believe. Like, but apparently there's anti-hunters out there who eat meat. Oh, totally. Now, yeah, totally. I, <laughs> I had this conversation with my cousin and I was like, how in the hell could you be against the killing, right out dead against the killing of animals and then go stuff a chicken burger in your mouth? I've seen too many comments on social media around, you know, why would you kill that deer? You can just go to the, to the grocery store and buy beef. But that's not an argument for animal rights. That's an yeah, argument for animal welfare. Well, I think it's, is it? Like, I don't even know what that is. I honestly, well, I, 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 I don't, don't I should, <laughs> well, I mean, okay, well, somebody eating a burger goes to McDonald's or goes to wherever the hell and buys a burger. They can still be for um, ethical treatment of animals, you know, um, mm -hmm. but as long as it's for human consumption. Whereas that animal, we go back to the, to the, um, to animal rights you're against any inhumane or any use of animals for human consumption at all or human benefit. So mm -hmm. to me, if you are an anti-hunter or if you're for, if you're pro anti-rights, which is, I'm not saying I'm not pro, I'm on both sides. Like if you were to put them, I'd be right in the yeah. for animal welfare and animal rights. If you are for animal rights, you should, you cannot be eating that. You're just contradicting everything you're standing for. You're, 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 you're consuming you're using that animal for your own benefit. Yeah, I agree. I think, and, and I mean, yeah, that's an interesting question, right? I, I agree. I think if you, if you, um, and I mean, vegans, okay, let me finish one thought here. <laughs> if you um, subscribe to uh, an animal rights perspective, yeah, exactly. I don't see any way that you could then eat meat. No, um, you can't eat meat. You can't eat fish. Right. You can't. But I think like, and I mean, vegans will talk a lot about, um, and I had, you know, friends who are vegans and we'll, we'll talk a lot about veganism being, um, much more of a, of a lifestyle and a philosophy than only a food, only a, only a, a dietary lifestyle, right? It's not just about not eating, um, animal products. There's also, it's also, um, a whole, an entire way of thinking about similar to animal rights. And that's the way of thinking about animals. But exactly your your point around like someone who's anti-hunting, but then still puts on their their leather jacket to go to the so now are they burger. are they just anti-hunters or are they anti-killing of animals? Because then yeah, you could you, you can question. you can really I mean if you wanted if you took a microscope and start to really dissect this you could really get into some you know you could get into the minutia of it and say okay well I'm not really against the killing of animals for food. I'm just against these guys going out and shooting them with their guns and, and both. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it, it's sometimes even a more finer scale than that. Right. Um, and your neck of the woods, I mean, the Raincoast foundation has, you know, they're, they're quite public with um, being in against the hunting certain species, but being totally okay with other species like deer. Um, yeah. See, like I, I feel the deer, Everybody will always, and same with a turkey. I don't think people ever have a hard time with us hunting turkeys, ever. 
because they can associate that turkey with something you buy it whole at the grocery store mm-hmm. do you know what i mean they buy mm-hmm. if everyone's used to it, thanksgiving everybody's always eating turkey they grew up with it they're okay with it i don't think anybody really would have a problem with us going and hunting turkey but then if it comes down to a wolf or a bear now they all of a sudden have a problem with it totally and um this kind of comes back to my point around you know one of my issues with the animal rights idea really my main issue with that really has nothing to do with how it impacts my hunting because i'm quite confident in the ability of hunters to respond to legal legal issues around hunting right um certainly we've seen things like the loss of a grizzly bear hunt in bc but generally speaking i'm quite confident that hunters are going to be able to um to mobilize and respond to the thing. My, I think, biggest personal philosophical issue with the idea of animal rights is this immediate um, trans, like applying a human concept onto animals. And I think it's somewhat counterproductive. To, we're saying, let's treat animals, let's think of animals as, as you know, non-human beings and reference them, reference them based on our idea of humans. And I don't think that that's to me, that's not applying, that's not thinking of it in terms of ecology and evolution and, and, and um, based on the kind of the rules and processes of the natural no. world. It's well, exactly. Systems I, on the natural world and not putting humans in the natural world. And this is my issue with, um, like you just say, you know, people are okay with people shooting turkeys. They're maybe a little bit unsure about people shooting elk, and they're certainly often more opposed to people shooting bears. And I think what we get into there is a similar thing where we, we, we think about, um, well, how smart is the animal or how, how pretty is the animal or how, you know, what, what are the, what are the, what's the value of the animal based on really anthropocentric and human centered, um, measures and that I'm not okay with that. I, yeah, and I think a lot of that too, you know, with the elk and the bear, is the misconception that it's just it has nothing to do with food, and it has to do with, you know, the grip and grin photo of having a big giant elk with a, you know, three hundred eighty yeah. inch rack on it, or a, a big big bear rug, and I think mm-hmm. that you know that misconception plays a lot into the emotion and the ethos around bear hunting um you know these so-called trophy hunts yeah yeah i i agree i think that's that's where um and and we hear a lot of the discussion around um opposition to hunts just coming down because that's the thing when you ask when you start to dig in and go and ask people well what is it that you're opposed to then is it is it large animals is it animals with claws what is it and and we sometimes see this being expressed in the media as anti-predator hunting or anti Yeah, well, what, what's right? that? What is anti-predator hunting? I don't even get that. Like, how could so, you... So, you know, I don't know because when I when I think about this more, um, we, it, gets compl- it gets confusing to me because um, if someone says I, I'm, I'm anti-predator um, hunting, I don't, under, I don't agree with it. But at least it gives me something to to grab onto to talk to them, right? At least it gives me a way to say, okay, I, now I at least have a sense of where you're coming from. But the thing that, but then we get into, um, you look at all the the range of predators that humans eat. Um, what about salmon and trout, exactly, octopus, and um, all manner of marine crab. life, 
crabs, yeah. lobsters that, that eat some other form of that are that are they may be omnivores and car, not carnivores to, to split the hairs there, right? But 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 they're not they're not just eating plants. And so then it's like, well, you're really opposed to certain predator hunting, right? Um, and under certain circumstances, people then people say, well, I'm it, it's much easier to be opposed to grizzly bear hunting. But then you ask about black bears, and it's well then the black and white starts to break down a little bit. So I, I don't know. I, um, again, I, I try to kind of get at that. Um, what are the terms that we're kind of talking about here? Is it, is it predators really, or is it something else? Is it, is it, is it some other maybe unlabeled um, value we put on the animal? Um, because I, because the predator one also tends to break and tends to break down. And this is of course, notwithstanding. I know people who would say, now I'm anti-hunting across the board, whether that's a fish or a wolf, and and I respect that consistency, right? Mm-hmm. I did I disagree yeah. with them, but I I respect their consistency. And if someone would say to me I'm anti-predator hunting, and that also includes I'll never eat a trout, okay, I, I respect the consistency in that then, because that's what I try to strive for. I try to at least get to a point where if someone disagrees with me, I'm okay with that but I want to be at least consistent with my own beliefs and, and applications of that. Right. For, for my, okay. I see it as if you are against hunting, if you're against hunting in any way, shape or form, you should be, you should be on the side with animal rights where you're against any use of any mistreatment or, or harm to animals for human benefit. That to me, to me, being an anti-hunter can be black and white. Where it is, I will not eat. I will not myself. I will not use any animal, fish included, anything for human benefit. Not at all. I will yeah. never go to a zoo. Never eat a chicken burger. Nothing. Right. That's the way I feel about it. There's no you. You can't say oh, I'm against hunting, but it's okay for these for the killing of slaughter and chickens to live in these houses and grow up in a tiny cage and they're okay with that they're okay with eating a hot dog that they don't know what's in it to me that's just that's where i have this is where i have trouble with is it is in this conversation because i get frustrated and say well you can't you you can't say this and then do this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like you just can't you just can't say one thing and and then do the contradict yourself and do something just because at this exact time it's benefiting you while well, i'm hungry yeah. and i'm going to eat a burger <laughs> whatever yeah. but yeah. i'm still against hunting i'm still against somebody else somebody else spending thousands of their own dollars years and years of time and go harvesting a deer to, to feed his family i'm against that but for yeah. right now i'm okay with myself going and eating a burger to me that's yeah. where i have conflict with no, exactly. And I think I, I, yeah, I totally understand. And I think that's why I, um, I have plenty of contradictions in my life. Right. Um, I've, I, I am a hypocrite on plenty of levels. I care deeply about animal welfare, but I also love to crush a burger from a fast food food joint once in a while, um, knowing full well that that cow was perhaps not shit fat. So I acknowledge, like, I get that I have inconsistencies as well. Um, but at the same time, you're not saying that, you're not saying that you are totally against any use of animals for human benefit. Totally. You're not and saying exactly. that. That's you're right. Not saying that. I, so it's not a really a contradiction. 
You're accepting. No, I guess you what hunt. it is is. Yeah, no, no. I guess what I and that's where I was going to kind of go. Is I guess what I try to come back to is um, thinking about the the bigger systems and context that it all exists within because none of this exists in isolation, right? Um, we can't all, uh, yeah, it, the, these conversations and these issues and these sort of ethical questions exist in bigger systems. And, um, and that's where I, when I, that's what troubles me the most is when we have, when I see really strong, firm, um, sort of polarized opinions that are not, take, that don't take into account the, the, the bigger complex systems that we live in, you know, um, and, and again, you know, we see this with anti-seal hunting campaigns and then people point out, people will point out, well, um, there are many communities across the world that hunt seals to live off of. Well, and up you, north, and you see they, the, that's right. Anyone that's up there, they live like they, they need the seal harvest they need it yeah, to survive you see a lot of the organizations will say well i'm against seal hunting but we're okay with when you hunt seal <laughs> okay. we don't, we're not against that and <laughs> to those organizations i would say um don't listen to me watch first of all watch the film angry inuk there's a, there's a wonderful documentary out there called angry inuk and it's, it's um it does a far better job of explaining this than i will but this is but the point that they make in that is that um, we live in a world that in an economic, social economic system and a political system where you can't separate those things in, in, in effect. I understand that what you think you mean is I'm against a commercial, large scale commercial hunt that I think is cruel, but I'm not against personal hunting for food. But that's not how, that's not, we don't live in a world where those two systems are equally or are or, 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 um, so simply disentangled and, and separate. Um, Inuit hunt seals for commercial purposes. Um, they'll, they'll kill the seal, they'll eat it, and then they will sell the fur. Um, so they are deeply involved in the commercial harvest for seals. Um, so for organizations to say, well, I, and this comes back to what you're saying, right, right around where to say on one hand, I disagree with this, but on the other hand, to, to, to um, be okay with something that is not separate from that. For organizations to say, well, I disagree with this part of it, but I'm okay with this. That's not how the, the current system works. That's not how the world is functioning. And so it's not, um, it's just, it's a total contradiction to, to, to say that. And I think more on a more insidious level, I think most of those organizations are probably saying that because they are just aware that politically they have to say that. Um, but the, yeah, seal, just, the seal hunt is tough because the seal hunt, a lot of people use it for social credit. You get celebrities on board who say, I'm yeah. opposed to the seal hunt because it's easy. It's an totally. easy target. They show a cute picture of a baby seal and everybody buys into it, right? You get, I'm not going to name names, but you can get, there's a lot of celebrities who've well, gone on the guy, the the guy that I sound too much like. <laughs> Paul McCartney was a huge anti-seal activist. There's a few of them. I mean, there's Canadian. Yeah. There's people yeah. who grew up in Canada and they should be a little bit more informed on what's like, this, again, it goes back to, we're taking a resource. We Fishermen, human consumption is taking this resource out of the water. And in a perfect world, humans would be out of it. Seals would be managed by other sea life, such as orca whales, sharks. 
-hmm. but um humans have taken too much out like we've taken i mean i've worked on trollers i've worked on net boats i've worked on i've worked on pretty much every boat there is on the west coast of bc and man there's a lot of destruction going on yeah on a commercial fishing boat and now the only thing that we're not touching the seal is growing exponentially i mean we we maintain the same as hunting the biologists and the fishermen they set quotas on what they're allowed to catch right those quotas are are there for a reason like the halibut is sustaining the crab numbers mm -hmm. are sustaining the salmon they're sustaining they try to sustain a, a number where the resource is going to be renewable but the seal doesn't have that it just keeps growing exponentially because it's not mm -hmm. getting managed so yeah it drives me nuts when i see people using the seal hunt as social credit going on there saying and then then people buy into it too right they see it on they go on their facebook or they're watching tv and they're like oh well look at that that guy's an activist against seal hunting so i'm gonna it's, that's yeah, such it's a good totally cause the, i'm gonna yeah. send them 25 dollars. that's right it's totally the low-hanging fruit and um i was mentioning this this post by a seaspiracy that was up yesterday and i woke up this morning and the post was taken down um no mention of it no not yet at least no um and this is you know on april 10th no not yet any deeper engagement in into um you know did they reflect on on the issue of the seal hunt more so far they just took it down and just sort of faded away from the issue and um I have a, that part of things really bothers me um because like you said it was like was this just about a popularity contest to get people onto your page and did it, it just backfired or what? And I, and I think we see similar things with um, other individual species, um, right? Um, where we're not willing to kind of engage in the, in the, the bigger context around it. And then I mean, we can talk about this with grizzly bears probably as well, that um, it's very easy to jump support and a grizzly bear hunt, but to do so, to, to, to maintain a really simple position on the grizzly bear hunt, to be anti-grizzly bear hunting is what I mean. Um, I feel like you also need to exclude from consideration a whole lot of other complex ideas and factors. I find it difficult for me to be so easily against something unless I totally exclude a lot of other issues from, from my consideration. Yeah, it's tough, man. And staying on the social media topic, um, you know, social media works great for anti-hunt campaigns it works great there's there, social media can't do any injustice for anti-hunting but in the hunting for hunters social media only works against against hunters yeah i think we need to do yeah i think it's, i think hunters need to um well yeah, uh, it's, find a way to use social media a little more um positively for ourselves i don't even know how like i don't even know if you can i mean without uh i mean you know you go on places like facebook and they have these they have pages um, where you have to you have to be accepted to be a part of that group, which is great. I mean, then you know, in those places, I feel that's that's where you should be sharing. You should be sharing your stories and your hunts. You shouldn't be sharing them just on your you know where other people have access to because that mm -hmm. has never mm -hmm. done that to me. That I've never seen anything good and all the negative the negative fuel that the anti hunters the anti hunting community has found on social media and used it against hunters it uh you know what i mean it's there's there's a lot and it goes you know back to where we talked about before they didn't have 
anti-hunting groups have been around forever, but they didn't have the tools that they have today where it's seen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly. And that's, um, and, I, and again, I think it just kind of comes back to like, we, we really need to really evaluate the entire, the entire context we're working within and, and figure out how to, how to respond to it appropriately and how to use it appropriately. And, and it's okay to change, right? It's okay to, for us to say, I, I think that's something else we need to, um, be, be okay with as hunters. It's like, it's, it's okay for us to say, you know what, for now, I'm not going to post. Yeah, my exactly. Um, yeah, it's not exactly. that I, it, it, and it doesn't mean that I'm, it doesn't, doesn't mean that you mean don't that want not, to, and it no, doesn't mean it doesn't you're not mean proud of a proud hunter. Exactly. It just means that I perhaps care more about yeah, the long term. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You play in the long and I, I know it's exciting. I mean, I have, you know, I have, I have a lot of stuff I'd love to post, but I just don't do it. I'm very, very particular with what I share on social media. I just, I just don't want it to be used as fuel for anyone else's fire. No, exactly. That's not why I'm on. I'm not on there to, uh, for the personal accolades and stuff. I'm, I'm much more interested in, um, in these types of conversations. I mean, I would imagine that if I had, put out a blog post just railing against any anti-hunters in a, in a more vitriolic way, you, you probably would not have reached out to me to talk to me. Um, so I, I like to think that I'm much more interested in the conversations like this that we're having and that it probably does more good. And than to be they're not, they're not, the, the problem is that they're not glamorous conversations, right? You're right. Yeah. And so it's a lot, less intriguing for people to listen to these conversations and to get into these topics because they're not they're not glamorous they're not fun they're not it's not wow you know, look, I, look I what i did that's right i always kind of joke like i'll never be insta famous because um what well, hey i don't don't say that i don't, I don't uh, I'm not a... i don't know man you're getting up there in the podcast world <laughs> yeah <laughs> But uh, no, but I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, they're not glamorous. Um, if we don't come out of this conversation with clear enemies and firm lines in the sand, um, we are not, we are not sort of fitting into the expectations of, of social media right now. Um, yeah. And I'm okay with that. Um, but these conversations have to be had. And I mean, uh, again, I get it, you get it. And the whole point of these conversations is to help other people with conversations they have around not just hunters but how they have how they address hunters and hunting with non-hunters and that's the whole point and to do that you have to have a deep understanding and you have to have an appreciation for the other side as well or else you yeah can't, exactly you just can't do it you can't no, just totally be, you just can't be i kill animals i love to do it and fuck off you don't like it exactly don't talk yeah. to me because that's and unfortunately that that is why we are at where we are at today. Um, yeah, I mean, like when my dad hunted and his brothers hunted and his dad hunted, I mean, they just hunt, they, but they hunted for food. So, I mean, it was a lot different, right? Um, yeah. Hunting yeah, has and evolved and changed. Exactly. And so, and, and so have the social systems around, around hunting, right? Um, they mean, as much as they live in a different... Uh, time in terms of in terms of wildlife and things it was also a different social time um and so i think we can we can retain just as much of our um dedication to hunting and love of hunting and our firm belief that it is you know morally correct 
we can retain that throughout time while also at the same time shifting how we talk about it and adjusting how we relate to other people and not to other non-hunters. And I don't think that 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 the latter, that, that changing how we talk about it and present it, I don't think that that means that we are, you know, watering down or pandering our de- dedication to and, and love of hunting itself. Yeah. And you never know. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe we're the middle generation of history. Maybe my kids will be looking at, at us um, down the road and say, Hey, you know, it, these conversations, they started to change. And I mean, look at Teddy Roosevelt. I, I love that uh, article you have in, uh, or the, the cartoon you have in your article that, that, um, of Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, yeah, the, the, the bear hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Explain that. Yeah. So, um, uh, that was, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact, um, year but i it was the early i know i know it was in something no it was uh 1902 i remember it was 1902 in a washington post yeah article yeah yeah Yeah, i I don't remember the yeah i don't remember who 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 did the cartoon but basically it was depicting president roosevelt concept of uh ethical hunting i think or fair chase yeah so Uh, he was on a bear hunt in mississippi um and uh a black bear hunt and what kind of the story is that um, the guides had gone out. He was, they sort of sent him back to the lodge. He had, he had been unsuccessful. They sent him back to the lodge and said, we'll go out and find scout for the bear and we'll come get you. Um, and as the story goes, the guides had used hounds to um, corner a bear and they, they tied it to a tree and then went back and got Roosevelt and said, okay, we got a bear, come out and shoot it. And he came out and was so, um, uh, was so sort of, um, T- turned off of the entire idea he said this is this is not hunting i mean there's a bear tied to a tree and he refused he refused to do it he turned to the guy and he forced the guy to do it he said you know you need to shoot this bear and put it out of its misery but this is not a hunt this is not fair and this is not um this is not respectful to the animal and so from this we kind of had this idea of fair chase hunting right around um um and I just love it because, I mean, if you were to, exp- a lot of people don't know the history of where the term teddy bear comes from, but it was all, you know, that's the, that's where it is. That yeah. The, yeah. That's the evolution of the teddy bear. Yeah. It, from, was, it was considered the yeah, teddy's bear that he wouldn't shoot. Um, and yeah, uh, that was yeah, the origin was story. A complex of, character. He, he, he did a lot of things that I have issue with, but we have, we have like again, what? not, well, not drawing black and white, right? We get this comes back to this, like, don't make the about about things are not always just good or evil or or, or whatever. Um, and he was a character like that. I mean, um, yeah, he had as as president. I mean, he had some pretty questionable policies around, well, awful policies around how we treated indigenous communities in the states. Um, and uh, um, you know, I also. Um, just his just sort of approach to hunting in some cases that, you know, going on, on his African hunt was wild. I don't know if you've ever read about his African hunt, um, but he went over and, and just, yeah, it was just thousands of animals that he shot. Um, and so I kind of look at that and go like, oh my gosh, like I, I just, I just find it such a um, conflicting approach, like uh, idea of to me of what it is, but then, but then you have, you know, you see, have this guy who who we now it gets have overshadowed. Yeah, it gets yeah. overshadowed with with the amazing things that he did with Yellowstone. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, he created um, the first uh, wildlife reserve in the states and the most, uh, and then gave us 
he led us down this path to explore our idea of fair chase. And, um, and this is just the thing, this is the same, again, the sort of microcosm of the whole issue to me that we've been talking about is around um, things are not black and white. Things are not. Oh. Um, and, and the thing is too, without the, without one, there might not have been the other. Do you know what I mean? Like there's certain things, certain roles, certain, certain forks on the roads that, that, you know, um, that people take ultimately ends up leading you to where you end up. So you never know without all that. That's exactly. I mean, Aldo Leopold um, in Penn County Almanac talks about his love for wolves and he turned around and shot wolves. (laughs) So it's, it's, um, it's definitely conflicting and people are, people are not, uh, people are complex and I, um, you know, systems are complex and ideas are complex. And I, um, I think we do a disservice by trying to treat them like they're, simple and we also um it's also not as useful to treat them like they're simple and 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 easily just you know categorizable as good or bad yeah and you know the thing is too without all this without PETA and anti-hunting and the difference between animal rights and animal warfare what the hell are we going to talk about that's right yeah that's exactly it i mean we 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 need some of these don't we (laughs) absolutely if it wasn't for that it wasn't for your article i'd be outside right now Working on my yard. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. I'd be out in the rain right now. Yeah. No, I think we'll, um, I, I, I just, I think that as um, people in the hunting community, I think we are, um, I think we're well positioned to sort of try to lead, lead that way a little bit and to say, you know, we understand that things are complex. We understand it on a way that a lot of people don't because we engage in some activities that, um, that are complex where we, that we, that are emotional and that are political and that are social and that are, that we, and that they're, they're not just singular. Right. And I, so I think um, as hunters, we can also be at the sort of leading edge of, of, of that idea. And to say to people, let's, let's have these conversations. Let's dig into them. Let's not try to um, let's not draw lines in the sand all the time. Let's, let's really be meaningful with our, with our approach to these. Um, so that's kind of why I hope that we as hunters, I hope we really, you know, lead that way. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's leave it at that till uh, till the next time, buddy. Perfect. Uh, remind everybody where they can uh, where they can find you. Yeah. So uh, the website is landscapesandletters.com, uh, and then on um, Instagram, it's just Paul Dot McCartney. Um, so yeah, any of the, uh, those two places. Uh, I think I, I have a page on Facebook, a Landscapes Letters page on Facebook as well. You can get stuff on. So Landscapesletters.com. Yeah. And you can also yeah. find some of, uh, you're doing some writing for Hunt to Eat. I've seen your articles on there. Yeah, that's right. So they've been, um, they're really been a really great company. Um, they've really encouraged exactly what we've just been talking about for the last Yeah, I, I was actually, uh, I invited uh, Matting on the show, so he's going to come on. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So I had mentioned, actually, I had mentioned your show to, to them. So I'm really glad about that. Um, you guys will have a great conversation. Um, and then I would also encourage everyone to go and uh, check out um, a, previ- a previous episode of this here, of this here show. Um, yeah. that we, you and I chatted, so. Yep, absolutely. I think that was episode 24, I believe. So people can hit up that, but uh, yeah, 25. Sh- yeah. 25, yeah, I'm sure we're going to be... Uh, 
hearing a lot from you. I'm sure maybe uh, maybe we'll reconnect in a, in another month and a half or two months, and then by then you'll probably have another dozen or so podcasts under your belt. Well, I'd like to hear about your turkey hunt then too. So let's uh, let's reconnect after that, and I can live live vicariously through your turkey hunt, and um, I'll be getting ready to head up to the Yukon by then. So yeah, for sure, and uh, I'd like to hear more about that too. I wanted to get into a bit of that of your move, and and uh, it's pretty exciting. You're gonna get a lot of good hunting in up there can't wait for it yeah it's gonna be have to come stay with you for a week or so yeah we'll do a bison hunt we'll uh yeah for sure i'm into that okay buddy till the next time all right yeah take care thanks a lot kevin you believe that wow i guess it's all worth it